Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Dear Lord, we'd like to be blessed like countless Christians before us by the works of your apostle and this wonderful passage about faith in you through your son. We'd ask that we would be lifted up more by it than by the weather. Your son's name, we pray. Amen. Stephanie had texted me sometime last couple of days uh, about Christ and the direction of our thought. It's quite kind of a general direction of thought of how to how to approach Christ. And so I was thinking about. I was thinking about that um, in prep. I'd looked at other uh, passages, I looked at continuing on in the Lord's um, uh, Sermon on the Mount. But this was sticking in my head, and when I think of the person of Christ, I think of the middle end part of first chapter of Colossians. You know that portion where just is like a hymn he is the image of the invisible God. And then he goes on to declare the greatness of Christ. So I was thinking of that, and I went to Colossians. And I, of course, being a contextual sort of person, better read the first part of the chapter. So stuck in the first part of the chapter, I didn't get to the cool stuff. So that's what we're looking at. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 1 through 15, where that, where that hymn starts out on the greatness of Christ. But I wanted us, you say, uh, Mother's Day, Evan, and even, we even found a hymn to sing that was a Mother's Day hymn. And uh, so I always have to say, because so, motherhood doesn't show up in the passage. So this is how it's going to apply to Mother's Day, mothers on Mother's Day. No special dispensation. It's no different for you than for any of us today with this passage. Um, we sometimes, we have our particular wants uh, as genders. We're, we're humans on one level. We have our human desires, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. All of us have them. Then we have chick things and we have dude things. And the dudes are about manhood and making money, you know, and uh, we're all about that. Women are about the threat to them and their children, and so they put little plastic plugs in the outlets everywhere in the house because every child is electrocuted, or would be if they didn't. Um, anxieties, all sorts of things. We're busy with everything, I think morally turpitudinous, is that a word? Um, about putting a safety plug in an outlet or putting a child gate at the top of the stairs or uh, whatever you do, or nothing wrong with going to work and making, getting paid for your work. It's a good thing. But I wanted to remind us in this first portion of the first chapter of Colossians that Paul is reminding us of Christianity. 
we tend to want to say, I have a Christianity that somehow I can carry as a woman through my womanly whatevers. And the guy wants to have a Christianity that's either, you know, church militant horns on his helmet and, and a manhood, or even churches that are anti-manhood. You know, they, they, well, it's more gentle Jesus, meek and mild, St. Francis the sissy. And those things are fine for you to think about, discuss, but I want you to really kind of know center pieces of the faith. Because the children that are looking on, they're all upstairs hearing about who knows what in Sunday school. Um, they're looking at what kind of Christian you are. And if you're just a Christian dressing on an anxiety, hag-ridden woman, or you're just a Christianity on the outside of some uh, ubermensch, basically, some, some sort of superman's uh, guy about his guyness or his, or his uh, achievements. If Christianity is just on the outside of that, that's what they're going to see as Christianity, and they might not like it. They might not see that it's the answer. No, they may drift into that themselves when they get to that age. But they might not keep it because they haven't seen Christ. They haven't seen what Christianity is. So, first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now I want you, I broke the passage up, centering some, putting spaces between, breaking up sentences midway, so you'd see the phrase the way I'm seeing the phrase go by. You don't have to agree with that. I have played maybe too much with my software. But I want you to at least have a chance to look at it the way my eyes tracked with it. And the first thing that he said, we always thank God for you. Our God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Something my, I've told you before, I'll tell you again because I think it's always helpful to speak in ways that echo what you believe about the Christ or the God that when you when you are sure he is the almighty God say he is the almighty God don't just expect the other person to translate the word God into almighty and if he is the Lord Jesus Christ call him the Lord Jesus Christ it unnerves people you control the definitions, you control the argument. You control the language, you control the argument. Uh, throw some things in there. And I don't think that's the point, Paul, to say, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, since it was going by, I thought it would be helpful to comment on it. But then he says, when we pray for you, then he says, because we're always thanking God because you, you trim out in one sense, you build up who your Christ is, who your God is. But in other cases, you want to trim out those directive elements and, and, and uh, say, they thank God because 
they heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So when you're going through a passage like this, you should be looking when you when St. Paul says in Corinthians um, um, faith, hope, and love abide that the greatest of these is love. You know that you are dealing with the top virtues. Those things are showing up here in the single sentence. Faith, love, and hope. You should be paying attention to how they are hung together because we are always in conversations with fellow believers about what does it mean to love and what does it mean to hope, have hope, and what is it. Had a girl come by, an NSA student, uh, a couple nights ago, and she said, next time I come over, I want to talk about kindness. I want to know what kindness is. Don't we kind of know what kindness is? But it's amazing how much we don't know, or how much we um, need to do the spade work in your garden to make sure that actual kindness, and not just favoritism, or not just whatever you might replace kindness with, is there. So we have these examples of how the apostles speak of the great virtues, faith, hope, and love, and it's strung together this way. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Okay? Because, oh, we're praying because we heard about these things. You have these things because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And we struggle sometimes. Part of the problem of loving people or believing, having faith, is because our world right now, the proximate now, is standing us in the staring us in the face with people we don't like, doing things to us we don't like. And it doesn't seem to be any future in that relationship, any way of dealing with it that would be a good thing because you're dealing with it existentially. And I don't have a problem with existentialism. I think it's great, but for heaven's sake, the Almighty has given you a future, a hope that is laid up for you in heaven because of which your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for the brethren exist. But if I just look at my hope laid up for me in heaven as the weakest sauce in the promises of God, because you don't want to get caught up in eschatology, you don't want to get, go to Evan's Bible study on Revelation and find out the truth at last. There might be graphs. You don't want that. Um, pushing the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven aside, you're pushing at the same time causal, a causal element to your faith and your love. That's what we share with each other. We certainly don't share hobbies, guys. I mean, if it weren't for Jesus Christ, we would not be hanging out together. Maybe some of you who smoke cigars. But the rest of you, you know, the golfers, the whatever else kind of thing, make something of you. It's the hope we have in heaven, at least in part, in great part. 
And he says, of this you have heard. He says, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Now, how much has your thought centered on the things that are centered in the faith? We got picked up as Christians. We became Christian in high school. We became Christian whenever we became a Christian. Find out, okay, what are the things we believe? And, and then you go, okay, what are the really stronger things that my church believes? And then what are the really important things my church believes? And I make sure that I don't ever doubt those things and just go on with life. Again, the hag-ridden anxiety uh, sponge that is every woman. And the... Uh, guy who's compensating for his lack of manliness and everything else. We go after our what we're about. We go after motives of our own, not the motives that are ours in the gospel. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth. The gospel. Don't you like it when that word shows up? The euangelion, the, the good news. which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, so among yourselves. From the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, apart from this, we have a tendency, of, it, it's not just the modern. The moderns do it their own way. They think they're really godly for being broken. I'm just broken. All of us are broken. Shut the heck up. You've got fixed. Don't. You know, when that, the kid, uh, the skin knee is done, we're done, walked it off. Start limping when the pretty girl shows up. Oh man, my knee hurts. We're playing games about what is the effect in our lives. We are full of faith in Christ Jesus, love for the brethren, because the hope we have, because we believe the gospel, and we knew this was central to the gospel, bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, and in us, the same way. The, the outpouring of the gospel is bearing fruit everywhere, and it's bearing fruit in us. All souls, Christian church, to whatever degree, the gospel of Jesus Christ, ever since we heard and understood it, Now, what's the growth the gospel brings? I mean, we think, we, we look at the gospel, and the preaching of the gospel, and someone walks the aisle or prays the prayer. And we're done with the gospel. The gospel is our centerpiece of our unity. Remember, the love we have for all the saints is due to the hope that we have, that we heard of in the gospel. So the gospel had better... So why don't we have a big argument uh, at Drones Saturday uh, on the basis of about elders and about how divided the church is. We know the church is divided. We know the church is a disobedience broadly. People just not getting along. And because there's, people don't lead with the gospel in their souls, hearts, minds, growth, positively bearing fruit in such a way that both love and faith are the effects of it. And we just know that they're not because it's not happening. This is what we learned in the gospel. This is what we heard about in the gospel. This is what we 
are designing. That's not designed some other kind of Christianity that allows you to be that kind of woman, allows you to be that kind of man, allows you to be the kind of person that makes your religion entertaining to you. They thanked God for this. God is the operative element in you through this. They learned it from Epaphras, verse 7, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. We heard about you, he says, from someone we trust who knows the effect of the gospel. He preached the gospel to you and you got saved and he told us that it worked. A lot of you have, you know, we've talked to many of you about, you know, child rearing, evangelizing your children. How do you know what they're up to? Somebody was talking to Leslie the other day about it and, and the mom was, I don't think they are. They want to claim, but there's no change. There's no love for the brethren. <laughs> they can't even get along with their siblings. You know the difference. But that's what we're, we're being called to that too. Ever since we heard of this, what should be sitting in our laps is the hope we have in Christ. And it's going to be bearing some kind of really positive fruit in our relationships. And it's going to be reputationally improving. Somebody's going to be saying, but those people at All Souls, they, they're dear believers. And you know that we're not some you know, set of people who believe a peculiar single thing. I don't know what sort of awful doctrine you hold, but I'm sure it's awful. And you've you always been suspicious of me, I know that. But we're still here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love we have for all the saints. But we want to be sure that we're reminded of what God is trying to do in us, regardless of our viewpoints, the hope that a Baptist has in Christ, in the resurrection, is the same hope a Methodist has, a Lutheran, a Presbyterian. And it's going to bear that fruit. And so, look at what he says here. And so from the day we heard of it, this is what Paul's way. He said, back in verse 3, we always thank God when we pray for you. Blah, 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 sidetrack, uh, background information. It comes back around to say, so, from the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. He's back on, it's like his sentence got a real middle clause that's really long. We pray for you because... Now we want you to know we pray for you that. This is what we pray. So I want to encourage you to not have, this is a very, just like that middle part of the passage about Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ is above everything. Your Christian life is the best life ever. That's it. Christian life, best life ever. If you're trying to design a Christian life that accounts for your ruining it, mm, you can fix it at any moment. You can get on your knees and repent of what you messed up. And then your Christian life can start to be the best life ever. Because not only did it make in the gospel, your belief in the gospel puts you in good standing. 
with fellow believers, with Jesus Christ. Then Paul starts to pray from the day we heard of the effect in you, asking that you, verse 9, may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Break those things apart. Now it doesn't say filled with the knowledge of his will for you. It says filled with the knowledge of his will. Slightly different. I don't mind if you believe that God has a a will for you. But he certainly has a will. He has a way. Black Kenny and I were talking the other day about uh, people at home in the universe. The phrase at home in the universe. And I like the concept and I like the fact that my God is God of the universe and the closer I get to the knowledge of his will, if I'm filled with the knowledge of his will, I will feel at home everywhere in his universe. I don't care what happens. I don't care who gets power in the United States. I don't care if it breaks up into a balkanized, you know, constant war situation, Kansas fighting with Iowa. I don't know who'd win there. They'd both be bored out of their minds. Um, armies marching across the Palouse. Yeah, it's, uh, it's God's world. doesn't matter what happens. God, Christ is victorious. God has made the world. He's going to end the world. I, I, I want to be filled with the knowledge of what he's about and why he's about it. And knowledge of his will is one thing. Someone could say to you, the Lord will come again and he's going to judge the ungodly for every ungodly thing that they have done and he's going to redeem the godly. Okay, great. That's knowledge of his will. But then he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You're filled with what he wants and you understand why he wants it all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why does he want this? What is necessary for this? You ever stop and go, you know, I was thinking about patience the other day. I'm for it. Uh, We sometimes think that patience is waiting, and waiting to be patient has to be eternal. You do know that God is patient with man. It's not eternal. He stops. It's a chance. It's waiting as a mercy. It's a waiting as a grace. It's not waiting for waiting's sake, because if waiting was permanent, it would mean nothing really was wrong. Because there would be never any account paid. Because he'd just wait. If it were permanent, suddenly all righteousness disappears, all ungodliness disappears, because no one, the God of gods, has to be patient forever. You see God wrestling with his patience in the Old Testament. How long am I going to wait? But he's not going to wait the whole time. Patience isn't like that. And if mom, we'll try to work some mom things in here. If mom yells at little Johnny in the backyard, honey, come in, it's time for lunch. Little Johnny doesn't move with the alacrity that mom would like to see. But she decides, I'm going to be patient with him. Wait five minutes, yell out the window again, Johnny. 
wait a little bit longer, wait a little bit longer. And then when he finally comes in after 10 minutes, when he should have come in in one minute, her patience is rewarded with finally the thing done. She knows he didn't do it the way he should have, but it was patient, it was gracious. But at some point, I remember Doug getting a spanking for this, um, the wrath falls on them from above. It's done, it's over, you were told. You were given a chance, you didn't move. And that's, under, you begin to understand what the will of the Lord is. You begin to comprehend what is the will of the Lord. You know what the thinking is behind God's doing something. Why does patient work that way? Why does love work this way? It's a great pursuit. Because Paul is praying that we would have this pursuit and that we'd have this advantage. The people that have really received the gospel, faith, hope, and love, operative in their lives, bearing fruit in their lives, I'm now praying because you're the kind of people I can trust with this information. I'm studying what God's about in the universe. I'm studying about why he's about it in the universe in order that I would, next verse, to lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. There's a lot of Christians who don't believe you can please God. You've got an apostle praying that you do so. That you would figure it out. You would take your gospel presence in the love of the saints. And because you understand, what does it say in Romans? We often quote it here. You are transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's where it steps into your life. It's not that you find out you're supposed to marry Susie Q or take the job in St. Louis, that kind of will of God. You're looking at God's will in the universe. You're trying to understand what God's will in the universe and why it's operating. So you'd be wise and understanding so that your choices, because you're going to make a choice about St. Louis and Susie Q or Sally Y or whoever it is, that you're really eager that your life be worthy of that God. Isn't that the passage that Colleen has on her blog, Live Life Worthy? That's our operation. A work, fully pleasing to God. God looks at you and goes, I like you. You lie in bed tonight. Yeah, I just want to give you something to think about because sometimes people go, I don't know how to fall asleep. Well, this won't help. Answer, ask yourself the question, does God like me? Am I one of his favorites? Remember how he, he liked John the disciple whom Jesus loved? I mean, that's got to go. John's got to, I mean, he drops it in his gospel a few times. This is the guy who is the disciple whom Jesus loved. No, I'm not saying it's anybody I know, but happens to be in my gospel. I mean, how's that going to, yeah, you, you, we're very conscious of pride and arrogance, right? But the apostle wants you to get to this point fully pleasing to God. You're going to feel the pleasure of God on you. Bearing fruit in every good work. I don't think he's saying that every good work I do will bear a significantly other fruit, you know, that I 
help the old lady across the street and so she's open to the gospel or her children are open to the, you know, my things make me connected that way. I think we bear fruit in good works. Good works are things that are the fruit of the believer. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at that description. So far, so far, the, the design of the believer is something um, we should be chasing after. And that's the design of the church offered to you about how Christian women should be, how Christian men should be. So much of that is our culture, so much of that is trend and fashion. Look at what the Lord is designing for us. Look what the apostles are saying. You know, I'm supposed to be reasonably up about this. Because I am bearing fruit with good deeds, pleasing to God, increasing in the knowledge of God. Then he goes on to pray, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, That's kind of, that sets you up because we all have categories where we have religion, uh, uh, the promises of religion um, are designed or defined a certain way in our own minds. When he says strengthened with all power, some of us who are deep in the classics think of Tim the Magician. And Tim the Magician he could blow up things at a distance. And man, I wish. You know, you know I've wished to levitate for years, you know. I gotta figure this out, what kind of power, developing my views on gravity, and trying to kind of, one Sunday I'm gonna do it, and you're all gonna be impressed. But we'd like to be able to do some kind of, you know, Elijah, Elisha moment, you know, lightning bolt to the sleeper in the back pew, you know. But that's not it. Oh, it's not that they didn't. They did. That's why I said Elijah or Elisha. That's why the apostles could raise the dead, for heaven's sake. Christ could walk on water. We're not talking about people who... But we get caught up in that excitement. We want to be Iron Man or Thor or whatever these other guys are. I hear there's a movie out that all oh, you geeks care about. But it, well, no, it's, look at this. For all lightning bolts floating in midair. No. Endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father. Ow. He's saying, I want you to be filled with power so when they beat the snot out of you in the dungeons of Rome, you will endure and be patient and happy and thankful. You say, no doubt, Evan, that would be a miracle. But it's not one I want to do. Do you really want to do any of this? Do you, do you like being kind of mopey and down and broken? Do you like having Christ not be victorious in you and you're just not looking for ways that the gospel is going to express itself and not pleased that his power is there for you to endure and none of you are going to be in dungeons anytime soon and no one's going to beat you up. You're going to go, I don't know, like I did just the other day to Grandparents' Day at Logan School. And it was hell. <laughs> and uh, 
And it's amazing, curmudgeon like I am, um, I can think that that's, you know, man, what a waste of my time. My grandkids up there being, doing their part. They did their part. They did their part better than your kids because they're Wilsons. But I didn't want to be there. Manisha knows I didn't want to be there. That's the things we deal with. We deal with co-workers. We deal with our spouse who looked at us sideways at the wrong time a month. And boom, it's, it's all over. And you know that he is actually thinking that endurance and patience with joy. He's talking about a cat of nine tails catching you a ripe and juicy one. He's not thinking that you might be put out. But let's just say you can be carried through those put out times as well. Because Paul is praying that you'd be strengthened with all power, according to God's glorious might, to endure and be patient joyfully. That means you're putting up with whatever it is you're putting up with. How you doing in the joy and thanksgiving department? Because it's putting up with endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Which is just a, I looked at that phrase, the saints in light. This is, this is great. What we have in Christ is just great. Not just because we're affluent middle class Americans. That's great. Thank God for that. But, even if we weren't, these are things that are far and away. Because if we started to think about the knowledge of his will, if we started to understand his wisdom on the matter, and it started to move us to a life worthy of him, it wouldn't matter how bad it was or whether you were starving. You knew the living God. He qualified us to share in something we have together. Not, it doesn't say inheritance of the church. It's the inheritance of the saints in life. It doesn't matter what the church is doing. Church is just a way of speaking about certain practical elements of you saints in light. You saints in light have to be saints in light. It doesn't get, once I make it call it the church, it somehow develops a permanence in history that must be just sort of granted to it because the church institutionally is still there. You say, no, no, saints in light. Our inheritance is, well, those who are the saints of the saints, those in the light. And maybe all the saints are saints in light, because the way he describes it, I sort of go, why did he call it that? Why did he say that? Why did he give me this to be considered? But verse 13 says, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. That's why we're saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. But, but no, no, I know you're depraved eternally, and I know that you're broken, and I know that you can never get over your whatever Myers-Briggs tells you you are, because I'm going to hunt down that person in the afterlife and either haunt them or um, hurt them somehow. <laughs> we are Christians. We have been delivered from darkness and transformed to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
I always like the phrase of Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories, the father telling the story to his daughter, calls her best beloved. You go, oh, that's really, that's kind of sweet. Best beloved. When God says of Jesus Christ, he is the beloved son. It has, it has the belovedness of the almighty on this agent in our history in our life. Someone, not a concept, not a definition, someone beloved by one agent to another. We're in his kingdom. We're in the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. We have been delivered from a kingdom that was darkness. Did you ever read uh, Great Divorce? What a great description of hell as the ultimate city of evil people and heaven as just the fringe of it it's just the it's just the edge of heaven the beginnings of heaven and it's so glorious that you almost the two worlds almost can't meet without one being wraith-like and the other's presence the hell the hellions could not even bend the grass they were standing on We are with the saints. We have an inheritance of the saints in life that we're supposed to understand, that we're supposed to have the spiritual wisdom regarding so much so that we live a life worthy of that business of being a saints in life. You, you, you say, but I don't, I don't feel that way. Well, then stop it. I mean, that's the old Bob Newhart, New, uh, Newhart bit. Just stop it. Quit being so full of yourself that you can't get on your knees and say, Lord, I am sorry that I've been thinking that it's more important that I admit I'm broken than you be God in your kingdom. That you be able to give me the grace. That I would be able to understand that grace in such a way that your power could be prayed for into me by an apostle. He has delivered you, us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Delivered, transformed, into whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at, go back through the passage. Look at the, um, and some of us feel these gifts are kind of like grandma's giving us socks at Christmas. Oh, great, more love. Oh, great, more patience. Couldn't I have something like becoming the hero? or whatever it is you want to be. Pretty, light. Maybe that's why I want to levitate. Because I could tell people, I might not be thin, but I'm lighter than you. I'm lighter than air. No, that's not your takeaway, by the way. That's, Evan is fixated on levitation. We want other things than what Christ is giving. And we need to repent of wanting those other things. That means that you're going all the way back 
to his will, what God's will is for man, why he died. He was a, a big ticket item, God, the power of God making a universe and then having it dragged out of his will. And then him going, okay, what are we going to do about it? And he did a number of things. Once he killed everybody. Remember that time? Everybody drowned. Eight people survived in a boat. Everybody else could have been billions died. This is a problem God has, and he knows what, I begin to know what his will is, and I get to understand what his will is, and I begin to realize, hold it, this, this matters more than the satisfaction a trendy church could have in designing your feelings to magnify who you are the way you are. We're being magnified into being, being what Christ wants of us so we'd be fully pleasing to him. And we get that deliverance, we get that transference, we get that redemption, and we get that forgiveness. And I put at the end, I said, you know, I, I messed that passage, the part I like. But I, I wanted it to say this at the end of what we just talked about. This is a great, positive task of life of how all of us believers, men, women, children, everyone alike, could start meditating on the things of God and Christ, seeing what they have to understand to become fully pleasing to him. And then if you went into, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, you begin to realize that you're dealing, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of this son, who is the image of the invisible God. That those, you need to know what the plan is. You need to know what the knowledge of his will conveys to us. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Continue to open up your kingdom, the joy we have in it in this life, the positive situations we have in this life, Lord, but also Thank you for the power for us to endure the negative things and be patient with the negative things and still in your joy and still in thanksgiving. Lead us along that path. In your son's name we pray. Amen.